You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. You know, your computer's not working. Oh, God, make it work, please. Right? Because without it, we can't live anymore. Um, well, thank you for your patience. So this morning, we're continuing in the story. And as Pastor Peter prayed at the beginning, he reminded us that it is not just the story. It is God's story. And it's not just God's story. It's our story, too. And so we've been in this story for 24 weeks. We've had the privilege of reading from Genesis to where we are today. Reading in Genesis, we began by understanding that God was going to send a Messiah. God was going to send a deliverer because of the sin of Adam and Eve. God was going to crush the head of Satan. And yet, until Jesus' return, which we'll see in Revelation, in between, we are going to receive a Messiah, a Savior. And he is going to come in the person of a man. And he was born with the name of Jesus which means he saves. And he grew up like any man. He grew up like any boy. And he became wise in the stature of men and also in the stature as God. And so we would certainly expect that Jesus was no ordinary man. And that's the title of our message today. Jesus is no ordinary man, which means that to those he teaches, and to those he calls, and to those of us who follow him, we should be no ordinary people. We should be no ordinary human beings. So let me ask you this. Are you an ordinary human being? Or are you an extraordinary human being? Are you an ordinary Christian? Or are you an extraordinary Christian? In fact, we shouldn't even have to put that adjective before Christian to describe them as extraordinary. All of us should be, because our Savior is no ordinary man, but an extraordinary God. And he came and he taught. And today we want to look at his teaching. And so what we could say is that Jesus was no ordinary teacher. He was an extraordinary teacher. I want you to think, who was the best teacher you've ever had in your life? Who was the best teacher you ever had in your life? And what made that person the best teacher in your life? What was it? about that person that made them extraordinary? Okay, I want you to turn to a neighbor and just answer that question. Who was the best teacher of your life and why? Go ahead and share that right now. Give you one minute. All right, I love the buzz. All right, okay, so, so tell me, say, say it out loud. What were some of the things about your teacher that you really liked? What made him extraordinary? Just raise your hand or say it. Okay, 
Yes. So he brought you back to the very time of history. He was able to transport you back. Excellent. What else? What were other qualities of teachers that you like? We have our students over here. So, so what were some of the qualities that you like in the best teacher you've ever had? Yes, Andrew. Spoke the truth, told you hard truths you needed to hear. Thank you. That gives me permission today. Awesome. Okay, somebody else over here. What were some things about your best teacher that, that really, really grabbed you? Why were they your best teacher? Yes. Very good. Thank you, Sherry. Are you that kind of teacher too? Trying to be. Yes, she's a teacher. Okay. So I think back to some of the best teachers I ever had in my life. And the reality is, is that the best teachers I had in my life, what I really admired about them was their knowledge. What I really admired about them was their intellect. What I really admired about them is that they knew things I didn't know. And honestly, what I often admired about them is they could say things, and after they said it, I said, I don't know what they meant, because they just seemed so intelligent and so smart. Now, maybe that was more a commentary on what kind of student I was versus what kind of teacher they were. But when you think about Jesus, what was it about Jesus that made him an extraordinary teacher? I want to give you an example of what Jesus taught. This is a picture of an old green truck. It's a 1940 wood stake side truck. My grandfather had a truck just like that. When I was a little boy, about 10 years old, I would spend the weekends with my grandfather. On Saturday mornings, I would wake up in the morning. He would put me into the truck. We would drive to a warehouse. He would pick up groceries, which are produce, and he would take this produce to a bunch of little grocery stores all around the city, delivering them. And I would learn from my grandfather his trade, his work, how hard he had to work, and what he had to do to support his family. My grandfather had a son, my Uncle Ed. And he followed in my grandfather's footsteps. Only he didn't drive a truck only to deliver the produce. He grew the produce. And so he grew the produce on a farm, a little farm, something like that. And I still remember to this day going with him to warehouses, going to a barn where he showed me about different ropes that were hanging and how farmers had to tie different types of knots. I remember going to his farm and riding on horses. I remember meeting his dog, which he very creatively named Farm. So I still remember the dog Farm. He had a barn. He had, he had horses and cows. He, he had fields and he grew vegetables and it was a hard life. It was a very hard life. He was dependent upon the weather. He was dependent upon economics. He was dependent upon who would buy and who would sell. And eventually he went bankrupt. And he lost his farm. Because it was a difficult life. But I learned hard work from both of those men. My grandfather 
and my uncle. They taught me the value that you have to get up early in the morning and work late at night to make a living in that day. That was the value of the lesson they taught me. Jesus was a teacher much like that. Jesus didn't impress people with his vast knowledge and intellect. Jesus didn't impress people by being a great theologian. Jesus didn't impress people by how much he knew more than them. Jesus impressed people by telling stories. Over and over and over again, when you read the sermons of Jesus, they are stories called parables. Jesus would tell parables and parables and parables, dozens of them in the Gospels, as his message and as his method of teaching. And we're going to look at one of them today. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. So please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 10. Matthew 13. Here we go. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell a seed, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And so we have this story that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, 1 through 10. And he tells a story about four different types of soils. But Jesus does this, as you see, after he has been with such large crowds. Now, what's interesting is that as we're going to read into the Gospels, we're going to see that many in the crowd did not understand what was happening. Many in the crowd did not understand. Jesus wasn't interested in big crowds. Jesus wasn't interested in having lots of people around him. What Jesus was interested in was having committed people around him. What Jesus was interested in was having fruitful people around him. And so we see this story of what Jesus is doing. What he is doing is he is telling a story so that those people in this large crowd will, as it were, be weeded out. So that those who truly care would stay with him and stick with him. A friend of mine, a neighbor of mine back in Tustin when we lived down in Orange County, was a pastor of another church. And his church was very, very different than the church that I pastored. His church was about 5,000 people. The church that I pastored was about 200. And we talked about the differences between our churches. 
And he said, I admire you being able to pastor in a small church. And of course, I really admired the fact that he was pastoring a church of 5,000. And in my pride, I wished that I would be good enough to be able to pastor a church that big. But I knew he was, and so we would talk. And he goes, you know, Curtis, we get 5,000 people a week. And they have to come early. You know why they come early? I go, why? Because they're so excited about worshiping? He goes, no, they come early because if you don't, you don't get a parking space. And he goes, you know, like every week, and he was not criticizing his people. He was not criticizing his church. He was just simply speaking out of his heart. He says, every week we get people who come, and my feeling is what they come for is a buzz. What I feel like is they come for, and we're just another hit on their busy schedule. We're just another thumbs up or a like. But what we are, I'm afraid, is that we are a mile wide and an inch deep. And he goes, what I really long for are deep people. But it's so hard in a church of that size. We're under so much pressure to keep the buzz going. Well, Jesus didn't care about the buzz. And Jesus wanted a people a mile deep, even if it meant there was only an inch wide crowd. And so Jesus told them parables. And in verse 10, we go, why parables? In fact, the disciples say, why do you speak in parables? Now, parables are stories which sometimes are mysterious but always poignant. And there usually is just one main point in a parable. And this one main point always points to how God wants us to live. How God wants us to live in his kingdom. And so the disciples asked an interesting question. Jesus, why are you telling stories? Why are you telling stories? And so we go on to verse 11. And we go on until verse 15. And we see Jesus' answer. So the disciples asked in verse 10, why do you tell stories? And in verse 11 it says, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understand. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would hear them. So why did the disciples ask Jesus, why are you telling us stories? The reason is, it's because the stories were mysterious and actually hard to understand. And because the stories were hard to understand, many people didn't stick around to try to understand what it meant. Many people would just leave. And as Jesus quoted Isaiah the prophet, what he was saying is that God knew all along that many people don't really want understanding. They just want a buzz. 
They just want a quick hit. They just want to get what they want to get on their terms. But God wants us to understand. God wants us to understand what's happening. The word understand literally means to stand under. To stand under something means to yield to it. It means that I'm going to follow what I'm under. I'm going to do what it says. A sincere listener would say, Jesus, I want to know what you're saying. I want to understand this story. I mean, what is this hard path? What is, what is the rocks? What does that represent? And what are the thorns? What's that about? And I like the last part, 30, 60, 100. But what is that? I don't know. And Jesus goes, glad you asked. Glad you asked. Because he says to these people, and I hope that we are these people. So this is the one point of the story. So remember this. It's a question. Which soil do you want to be? Which soil do you want to be? We're going to answer that as we go along, I hope, in an affirmative manner. But if we go into verse 16, we see that to those who want to be the good soil, this is what Jesus says. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. So Jesus is going to explain it to us. Jesus is going to show us how these first three soils are things that we don't want to be but how we must be honest with ourselves if we find the tendencies within ourselves to be them. And the first one that Jesus says is the hard soil, which represents a hard heart. Jesus does not want people to have a hard heart. Going back to verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds, of the, and the birds came and ate it up. And then in verse 19, Jesus explains what that means. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This seed is the path. This seed is the path. God wants us to know that he wants us to have a soft heart. But there is a farmer who scatters seed onto the soil for a kingdom message. And so we want to understand, well, first of all, who is the farmer? Who is the farmer? Look at verse 37 in Matthew 13. Who is the farmer? Jesus is telling another parable about soils. But in this one, he describes to us who the farmer is. Jesus answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Jesus 
is the farmer. Jesus is the one who is scattering the seed. And so then we say, well, what is the seed? Look at verse 20. In verse 20, it says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. And we go on to verse 21. But since he had no root, he lasted only a short time. When trouble or persecution came because of the word, he quickly falls away. The seed is the word, and the word is the word of God. And as we looked at it back in verse 19, we see that the path or the soil is the heart. And so the farmer is the son of God. The seed is the word of God. And the path is your heart and my heart. And the purpose of the seed in our heart is to teach us about the kingdom, as we see in verse 19. The kingdom is God's rule. The kingdom is God's power. The kingdom is ruled by a king, God. And in this world, God can reign in our lives. God's kingdom of heaven has come to earth. It is in our midst, and we can receive it now. We don't have to wait and die to go to the kingdom of God. We can have glimpses and power of the kingdom of God in our lives right now. And what Jesus wants is for our hearts to receive this seed. And he doesn't want us to have a hard heart. But what Jesus understands is that many people, in fact, most people, don't want to hear the truth. As Andrew's great teacher said, he will tell you or she will tell you the truth even if it's inconvenient. She will tell you the truth even if it's hard to hear because they want you to learn so that you will hear, so that you will obey, so that you will be safe, so that you will be corrected, so that you will do that was right. But many people don't want to hear. I have a friend who had a little boy, and the little boy, when he was about three or four years old, was sick, and they, they did many tests to find out what was wrong. Turned out he had a, an illness called Kawasaki disease, and this disease could strike in many different ways. Sometimes it's not serious, other times it is. For him, it was serious. And one of the things that was happening is he was losing his hearing, and so the doctors gave him a hearing aid. The good news is he grew up and he became fine, but at that time it was serious, and he had to wear a hearing aid. And his mom told us that when she would yell at him, when she would scold him, he would turn his hearing aid off. Because he understood, if I don't hear it, then I don't get in trouble. I don't have to be punished. I don't have to do what mom says. I think many of us are like this little boy. When we hear what we don't like, we turn it off. We only want to hear what we believe. We only want to hear our theology. We don't want to hear somebody else's. We don't really want to learn because we've made up our mind. We only want to learn about what we believe about God. And we don't want to learn what other people say. But what really, really is hard and what Jesus is getting at here is we don't want to go through hard times. We don't want to go through difficult times. Because when times are difficult, it's not what we want. We don't want to hear that the Christian life is hard. 
But the Christian life is hard. To be holy and to be pure. To say no to sin and yes to righteousness. To confess our sins to God and to one another. To live according to the rules of the Bible and not the rules of the world. To be a person of integrity and not of compromise. To put God first above all things. These things are hard. And being honest, I've been in that place where my heart was hard. And I turned off the hearing aid. Because I didn't want to hear from God what I needed to do to keep walking that path. God knows when our heart is hard, it needs to be plowed. It needs to be broken up. And that's the good news. The good news is that even if our hearts are hard, even if our hearts get hard, God tells us they can be plowed up. Jeremiah 4.3 says, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste your good seed among thorns. Plow up the hard ground of your heart. How do we plow up the hard ground of our hearts? It is by receiving the word of God. Now, we have been going through the story. We've been going through this book for the last 24 weeks. And uh, most of you received it. How many of you received the book when you got it? Yeah, most of you received it. How many of you received the MailChimp each week? From the church, you don't, many of you, you, actually many of you do, you just don't know it. It's in your email mailbox, you just, maybe it goes to your spam. Uh, but if you get the MailChimp every week, we send you the clip of this chapter. You can just click on it, you can listen to it um, on the radio or actually on a, like a, it's like a blog, but it's just a connection to a YouTube, and you can listen to it. But because many of you have it, I want to ask you this question. How many of you have been keeping up reading it every week? A few of you. Oh, that's good. Okay. But it looks like about 10% at most. Okay. Now, I, I got permission earlier today to just tell you the truth. You're wasting your time if you have this and don't read it. Okay. And, and you're going to invest in your time, in your life, if you have it and do read it. Now, there's... Seven more weeks left of the story counting this week. So this is my challenge to you. Go, go find it wherever you have it. Maybe it's underneath your seat. Maybe it's in your trunk. Maybe it's under your bed. Uh, maybe it's at the bottom of your book pack, whatever. Go find it. And this is my challenge. Read it every week until we finish. This coming week is, is chapter 25. Next week I'll be bringing a message about Jesus' message again from chapter 25. And this is my last copy, okay? So if you don't have it, and um, anybody not have it and want this? Anybody, all right, oh, hand went up. All right, here we go. See that? That's for you. Okay, there we go. All right. So now, all right. How many of you have the book? Somewhere at home, somewhere? Okay, keep those hands up. How many of you will read it this week? And don't lie to me. Right? Don't lie to God. All right. And if you don't get MailChimp, give me your email address. Just write it on a piece of paper, hand it to me after service. We'll get you the MailChimp. All right? And MailChimp, you'll see a connection every week 
to reading or hearing the story. But don't waste this time. You know how long it takes to read the story every week? Just guess. How long do you think it takes? I hear 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's all it takes. If you're a slow reader like me, 20 minutes. How does 20 minutes translate into a week? Do you have three minutes a day? Three minutes a day? Now, of course, I'm not saying only read the Bible three minutes a day. But you could read it seven times or even five times if you sat down five times a week for 20 minutes. You would know it so well that by the time you come and hear the sermon, you're going, hey, you missed something. God wants us to know his word. I mean, how many of you only eat once a week? Nobody, right? So, so how many would only eat breakfast Sunday mornings and let that count for the rest of the week? Nobody, right? Nobody in the right mind. Nobody who wants to be healthy. But some of us spiritually, maybe all the Bible we get is if we come to church Sunday morning and if we're listening. And that's it. We'll die. That's a sign of hardening of the arteries of our spirit. And God doesn't want that to happen. Now, I'm falling really behind in my sermon here, but, but that's the, really the main point there, okay? Number two, number two, is God wants us not to have a shallow heart, a shallow heart. Verses five and six, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. What's the rocky soil? Now, we see there that it's, it's shallow, but what does that mean? Let's look down at verse 20 and 21, where those who stuck around long enough got Jesus' explanation. And Jesus said in verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. A shallow heart and a rocky heart are the same. They are people who at first receive the word of God. They go, oh, this sounds really good. I like it. I like it. And the soil in Palestine is very thin. It's a very hard soil. But if you walk on it enough, you break up the soil and you get a little bit of soil on the top. The morning dew makes the soil receptive to the seed. There's enough nutrients in this little bit of topsoil that the seed could begin to grow, but then it hits the rock, and it can't go any farther. And what Jesus is saying is the sun comes up, and that represents persecution, and the heat comes upon that type of seed, and they are facing trouble, and they're facing persecution because of the word, because of what God's word says, and they don't want to keep living God's word. And so during the time of trial, they give up because the Christian life is not easy. It is what? Hard. The Christian life is not easy. It is hard. But you know what's harder than the Christian life? The non-Christian life. That's even harder. Because you don't have God. You don't have Jesus. You don't have hope. Everybody's life faces challenges. Everybody's life faces difficulty. Everybody's life faces trouble. But the Christian has the hope of God 
and of Jesus so that they can endure the times of difficulty. Um, one of my favorite movies is Rocky. And, and the franchise is actually my favorite franchise of all the movies. And in Rocky Six, called Rocky Balboa, um, there's a scene that I love. And this is Rocky talking to his son and talking to him about life. So if we can have the lights turned out, we're going to see this short clip. Listen carefully to what Rocky tells his son. I love Rocky. And I love this part of the story in Rocky where he goes to his son and he tells him that nobody is going to hit you as hard as life. And everybody's going to be get hit by life. And I love the part where he says, it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and then, and what you would expect in a Rocky movie is for him to say, and then hit him back. But he doesn't, right? 
He says, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's not about just hitting back. It's about being able to get up again and again. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. The person who doesn't have a shallow heart is a person who will keep getting up even in the difficult times of life and the difficult times of faith. The third soil that Jesus talks about is the crowded heart. In verse 7, it says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. The crowded heart is a heart that has lots and lots of room for growth, but it has lots and lots of seeds there instead of the one necessary seed. It has so many other places of the world growing, and it begins to worry. It begins to wonder if it can do everything, and it wants to do everything. It wants to do everything that it can in this world and and enjoy everything. But in that process, the thorns grow. The thorns of life grow. And worries take over. They're trying to do too much. They're trying to do it all instead of keeping God first. Instead of keeping this kingdom of God primary. They want to pursue this world and the kingdom of God at the same time. And Jesus says that can't be done. You can only pursue the kingdom of God. Or the kingdom of this world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 9 through 10. Paul says this. People who want to get rich. Fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires. That plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. And pierced themselves with many griefs. And a lot of times we read this, we go, oh, that's right, I I should not be a lover of money. And that is true. But I think we should expand that to say that we should not be a lover of the things of this world. Mammon happens to be the god of this world. But there are other parts of this world that can choke us as we seek to pursue it, that can crowd us out. Things like sports can be chosen over and against God. Or things like education or vacations, or power, or work, or popularity, or video games, or, or social media. I had a friend, he was really good at soccer. A Christian young man, really good at soccer. And he was so good at it, he won a scholarship to a school, but he wasn't the top athlete. And so he worked really, really hard to try to get onto the team and to make the first team, but he, he never could, but he kept trying, kept trying, and he practiced harder than all the rest. One day he called me up and he said, you know, Pastor Curtis, I, I need you to come and help me. I, I got to go see a doctor. I go, what happened? He goes, well, I got these really big blisters on my feet. And I go, what happened there? And he goes, well, I was at practice and my socks were all wet, but I didn't want to stop. I wanted to show the coach that I would keep going and going. And so I kept going, but because I ran and ran and ran on wet socks, I got these blisters. And so in in his passion for the sport, 
He didn't do what he knew he should do. He goes, I knew I should have stopped and put on dry socks, but I just didn't want to make the time for it because I'm so passionate about making the team. And in that process, he had hurt feet, and he couldn't play, and he couldn't practice, and he didn't make the first team. He loved the sport so much, but he learned his lessons through time. And he continued to work at the sport of soccer, but he put God first in his life. And he pursued the Lord first, and he became a person of great witness. He became a person of great passion. And after graduation, he became a missionary. And he led many, many people to the Lord. But in the process of being a missionary, it turned out that in the nation that he was at, he was playing soccer with some people. And they said, hey, you ought to try out for the national team. And so he got to play soccer on the national team. And he got to do it where a sport that he loved. And he got to play. But it only happened after he put God first. And for those of us, there are many other things that we think, well, I just got to put this first right now. Then I'll start reading the Bible. Then I'll turn back to going to church regularly. Then I'll start going to Bible study. Then I'll start going to Sunday school. Then I'll start praying more. But it never happens. But once we do, we can start seeing the other things turn around. And the desires that we have for sports, and the desires we have for education, God will put into an order. But until that time, our lives are just going to be too crowded and too busy. We won't become the people, the extraordinary people God called us to be. Well, finally, God wants us, of course, to have a fruitful heart. And in verse 8, it says, Still other seed fell upon the good soil, where it produced the crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. And then Jesus explains that in verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now the person that's the seed and the heart is reproducing himself or herself. And so the reproduction of fruit is the reproduction of lives. It is a receptive heart. It is a person who has received the word of God and becomes like Jesus, him and herself. In Luke chapter 8, 15, in a parallel verse, it says, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart and hear the word retained and persevering produce a crop. The word noble means beautiful. And what God wants for you and me to have is a beautiful heart. And the way that we get that is we retain the word of God. We hold on to it. We don't give up. We persevere. We are patient. And we have ears that hear. And we have eyes that see. So that our hearts become nourished. So that through our lives then, what happens is we begin to reproduce this into the lives of other people. By our words and by our example. By our service and by our giving. We become people who are passionate about what God can do through us, not what the world can do through us. We are people who want to be part of the minority in this world who make a difference and not in the majority who follow others. 75% of the people, according to Jesus' story, give up. And they're the hard soil. 75% of the people give up during difficult times. 75% of the people give up 
because they'd rather do things of this world. Only 25% of the people are on the good soil. And so we go back to that question, that main point. What soil do you want to be? We all have to answer that question. What soil do you want to be? I hope nobody here is thinking, well, I've got to think about it. I hope it's really clear that Jesus wants us to be the good soil. But we have to answer that question. Which soil do you want to be? So what will you do about it? What will you do about it? It begins by reading the word of God and letting it soak in and following what it says. Being willing to take the hits and keep moving forward and going deep and going into the soil of God's word and into the soil of his grace and of his presence in our lives. Our Savior is no ordinary man and his people are no ordinary people. What will you do to be extraordinary? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, help us to be the people you made us to be. Help us not to be an ordinary people because certainly, Lord, you're not an ordinary man. You are our God. You are Lord. You are Savior. And we want to be the good soil.